Incoming transmission. Again. Captain's log supplemental. What in the name of heaven is this? Alright, so we are live again for episode two of the Red Alert podcast. And today we are going to cover Strange New Worlds season one, episode two, Children of the Comet. You're joined by myself, Stuart Gilmartin, and Natasha Kitty Cat. So, over to you. So, we like to start the episode off with a little synopsis. So, for the Children of the Comet episode, we have, while on a survey mission, the USS Enterprise discovers a comet is going to strike an uninhabited planet. While trying to unlock the comet's secrets, Pike and Number One deal with a group of zealots who want to prevent any interference. Oh, this was a good episode. I did enjoy that. I think zealots is a bit of a harsh description, though. I mean, they were just... Looking out for their, their, their boy, you know? Yeah, well, th- you know what? I was shocked when I actually... I know that in the episode, Pike says, oh, the zealots. I didn't expect it to be in the synopsis, but, you know, Trek never fails to surprise me. <laughs> so we open on Persephone 3, which is a barren desert planet. And I had a look as well, and this ties in a later bit of the episode, but the name Persephone uh, relates to the goddess of the underworld, of the dead and fertility. So this goddess can bring death or life, but we'll get back to that. <laughs> we'll come mm. round to that. And also Persephone is the name of Adam Sung's daughter in Picard. That's interesting. I, I didn't realise that. That's the daughter from the Flash, with the back in time, right? Season two. Yes. Yeah. And his daughter, that's the clone, I yep. believe. Yeah. Bingo. I didn't know that. I, I, couldn't, I totally forgot that little bit of information. This is what uh, a podcast does to you. You find <laughs> out all sorts of random stuff and you just tie those dots together. And before you know it, it's like, wow, there's so much to uncover. Yeah, so they're going to study an ancient comet, which is known as C2260 Quinton. But it also goes by another name, which again we'll get into. But it starts off, we see Cadet Ahura. And this episode's very much from her point of view. And we see that she's invited to the captain's quarters for dinner. But you would have noticed Ortegas plays like a, a practical joke. It's like a thing they do to like the new cadets. You know, all come in dress uniform for the big captain's dinner and his quarters. And she's the only one in formal dress. Everybody's quite casual and she's in, you know, in the smart dress uniform and you can tell that she feels really out of place. I don't know, the dress uniform's kind of cool looking, I thought. <laughs> so. I would rather have the dress uniform, to be honest. I mean, I'm quite geeky. I've got, I've got um, from the original series for Halloween, actually, I've got a female version of Spock dress so yeah this is this is where we go into how geeky i am Nerd alert! so we, she goes to the captain's quarters and we also get our first look at hemmer who's a chief engineer now this is quite fascinating fascinating so he is an anar which is a subspecies of the andorians and if you remember back to enterprise the anar were outcasts they're also blind and the actor who played in this episode, Bruce Horak is actually blind in real life. So they cast someone who was actually blind to play the role, which is very Trek, which I love that, you know. Inclusion, diversity, and, you know, they've, they've done it with that. They've hit that on the head. I didn't know that either. So that was blind as well. The actor's blind in real life, yeah. Ah, you, wouldn't have, you would not know that. Don't worry, folks, I double-checked all this. <laughs> I remember at the time the actor was posting, so Bruce was posting stuff, and yeah, in fact, he is blind in real life. 
which I thought was pretty incredible and it shows a lot about, you know, the show, the fact that they've actually cast somebody with, you know, that suffers from blindness, but it's given them an opportunity and it ties in with the character because Hemmer, you know, we won't go into it, but as the series goes further on, it's like quite a, quite a strong, important character to the series. He is, as a character, he's also kind of teaming up with Spock to continue hazing Lieutenant Uhura. See, that's just more familiar than Cadet Uhura. Anyway, the, um, yeah, they, they gang up and sort of haze her a little bit. But then you've got Spock almost joining in on playing a, a joke with when, it's, you know, suppose this was serious and I would have thought that kind of thing would have seemed illogical to such a staunch Vulcan. Well, well, that's the thing as well, because when the captain's talking about the story with the Nausicaan, which there seems to be a common thread amongst young captains in Starfleet with run-ins with Nausicaans, because obviously we have Picard get stabbed in his younger days by one, and um, Spock is basically saying, you know, I don't understand, everybody's laughing about the Nausicaan thing, you know, the story that Pike tells and Mr. Spock's like, you know, I don't understand why everybody's laughing at, you know, misfortune or something yeah. that's not a great situation. So it's funny with that, you know, it's I funny. I think, though, for perspective, tripping over the Nozikin's trousers as you try to chase him down is a bit different to being in a bar fight and being stabbed through the heart to the point that your heart is destroyed and you have to have a fake heart for the rest of your life. <laughs> yeah, um, it's kind of a different run-in, so to speak. Yeah. You're not wrong there. And, you know, in fairness as well, I, th I think it's one of those little tidbits of information that you tend to forget that, you know, Picard has a fake heart. And I don't remember, but it might be mentioned in Picard season one before he gets his android body. Yeah, it does get mentioned again. Yeah, because, I mean, it's Jack Crusher, obviously, which is Beverly Crusher's ex-husband, Picard's best friend, and the namesake for Jack Crusher in Picard season three. Yeah, they tie it in nicely with that. Or... Wesley Crusher's dad. Wesley Crusher's dad, yeah. I know I'm going off tangent, but just for a second, I was surprised we never got Will back for the last episode. He, well, he was in um, Picard season two. From season you know. two, but I honestly thought for the reunion on that bridge, they would have somehow... I don't think he would need it for the bridge, though, because the, the bridge guys were the guys who were really in, you know, Picard season three. Will Wheaton or Wesley Crusher... Was it an hour? He came and he went, and then he disappeared. Then you know he was—he wasn't a main staple from memory the entire time, whereas everybody else there was. They were the main characters of that show, and he got his wee cameo at the end of season two. You know, so I think he was there. He was in the show. It wasn't like they completely forgot about him. No, absolutely. I just think it would have been nice, you know, as well. But he's an all-powerful. He's like know, a, he not? a time traveling yeah, freaking so wizard. <laughs> he's, I don't think he could have added it. anything to that story. It was I actually think Picard season three was probably almost a perfect. Yeah, it was season. perfect. But I also believe strongly that a lot of that's nostalgic for me because, as we said before, Next Generation is the one I was into the most, and I was getting to see all those characters again in what could essentially be the final film because they haven't done another movie, have they? So, um, it's almost getting to see another Star Trek film with all your favourite characters come back for one more, one more hurrah. And, and it, in my opinion, it was it worked so well because so much time had passed between and other things had happened. So when you finally get to see that, and you think Enterprise D, you think it's gone, you know, and then all of a sudden it's back and they're on the ship. And there's just lots of things about that season that for me, just uh, 
I maybe look at it through rose tinted glasses type of thing, you know. But no, it's, it was it's a, awesome. It's a really good show. It was awesome. No rose tinted glasses here, and everybody <laughs> loved it. And if they didn't, they're getting blocked. <laughs> you know, it was so good. But diverting back to um, Strange New Worlds, Children of the Comet, I noticed um, Ahura starts humming, and it's basically it's an old folk Kenyan song and I noticed that this was paying homage to the episode from the original series Charlie X where Ahura sings and Charlie takes her voice and Nichelle Nichols in real life was a singer she actually released I've actually got the uh, seven of this an EP a northern soul EP so she was actually a singer and like aside from Star Trek she actually released a few things and I've got one of her northern soul releases um, hmm. Know What I Mean is one of the tracks and the other is Why Don't You Do Right which is the track you know in Roger Rabbit that uh, Jessica Rabbit sings so I heard I've done a version of that as well and so when are you going to release some disco Natasha Kitschak <laughs> version of including all these elements and some soundbites you discovered online oh man you know with I'm forever with the pew pew and the sci-fi sounds it's ingrained especially the new stuff I'm doing I've just my head's still in that cosmos it's never See, coming from back a, a filmmaking perspective though it's a typical Chekhov's gun type of situation she's doing something which seems relatively innocent and then they ask a question about it but of course it comes back later it's used you know so you're setting up a, a plot driver which is then used later on in the in the episode to actually save the day, essentially when they figure out the the, the communication with the asteroid. Which again is jumping ahead, so we'll come we'll come back to that in a minute. But it's just uh, interesting to see the the way they're setting things up for the episode to play out. I really um, like that as well, actually. I think one thing they've really nailed in this series is the way they tie everything in and the way it, you know, they'll they'll give you little hints of something and then it'll come back, it'll 360, you know? It was interesting too, because there's a point where Pike asks her, like, where she sees herself in 10 years. And it's funny because she's like, oh, where do I see myself when I grow up? And of course, Pike then suddenly remembers 10 years is like, where are you going to be in 10 years? Well, he's going to be dead or, you know, severely burnt from radiation and living on talos 4 so that's you know he has his little moment where he, he kind of remembers where he's going to be in 10 years and she answers the question and talks about how she didn't fit in anywhere after her parents died in a car crash she's you know been from kenya and all this kind of stuff and then they, they cut to spock rather than anybody else in the table because he's another you know half human half vulcan struggles to fit in anywhere he doesn't understand human comedy the way they're all laughing away and he just doesn't get it but at the same time he goes to Vulcan and there's parts of that that he's conflicted with so I just thought it was an interesting edit you know there to cut from her to Spock because it's showing a sort of kindred spirit in a way yeah and what the other thing I noticed as well with that is when Ahura's leaving the uh, the captain's quarters like Mr Spock takes her aside and is like look you know, you're not sure you want to be in Starfleet. There's so many people that want to be in your position. You should really consider like what you're doing, which you know it, it, you know it sets it up like, you know you're, you know, do you want to be here? You need to really think about this. And then, basically, we see Ahura's first away mission. So this is her first time. You see her in the transporter. She looks absolutely terrified. You can see it, she shuts her eyes, you know, she's she's really like, oh my God, what am I doing here? 
and the other thing I noticed as well, you see the first glimpse when Nurse Chapel is giving them the inoculations to go down to the planet. She's, you see the flirtation with Mr. Spock. He's oblivious as, as always. He, he's like, what? But Ahura picks up on this. You can see the little hints that's setting that storyline up as well. But I think that's also a clever way of letting you know that Ahura's ability to read and understand language. So body Good language, point. verbal language, all these other things. So she's looking at that and seeing it's so obvious. Like, you know, I can see her flirting with you and Spock seems completely oblivious. But I like that scene because it was interesting because obviously Cha uh, Chapel just injects her straight away because, you know, it's going to hurt. Spock doesn't react to it. But neither, and then, but obviously Kirk does react to it and then Lanyon and Singh doesn't react to it. So she must have a really high pain threshold because as I mentioned in the previous episode and to my understanding, She's so far removed from Khan that she doesn't have any of those genetic upgrades. So she's just a, a badass <laughs> person, really, because she doesn't have any point. strength or any of these things. So she just must be an absolute, like, you know, badass to be able to take all that, or, or really, or just in control of all, of all emotions in a lot of ways, which is interesting. Well, she says in the pilot episode, a lot of people get offered like, a, you know, I, I don't know what it's specifically, but something to numb the pain. And she was like, no, I want to feel it all. And I don't know if that relates back, you know, to the trauma that she's experienced with, you know, the Gorn and what she's, the ordeal she's had to go through. Some, so, you know, some people, it's like survivor's guilt. You know, I want to feel the pain. I want, you know, and yeah, I noticed that as well. Everyone else, you know, Spock doesn't flinch, but we wouldn't expect him to yeah. flinch. But I think, I think it's important as well. We mentioned as well, we, we are doing season one. Because it was a, at first, it's a logical starting point. But we are currently on season two, of course, and you and I are up to date on that. And her story progression, I suppose, when you now watch the older episodes, you can understand the progression of her story arc and how it comes, you know, to, to play out. Which is interesting because you're, you're seeing characters knowing kind of where they go and then going back and seeing little things you didn't pick up on the first time. Um, which, is, which is quite a cool, cool thing. But interestingly enough, in the opening titles, we talked about this last week as well, the Enterprise... Pike mentioned specifically is a five-year mission. He only has ten years left, so we know five of those years aren't on board the Enterprise because I guess that's when Kirk would take over, unless he continues, you know, ongoing mission to explore the, you know, the final frontier. But I think um, this is what we're saying: is it going to be a ten-season show? Is it going to be five? How how are they going to work around Pike? Yeah, like do a five split. Because I wonder if they'll do the five years of Captain Pike on the Enterprise and then, you know, maybe do another five years other adventures. You know, there's just so many opportunities with this franchise. That there's so many things that they can do and I can't wait to see where it goes, really. Yeah, so, so we're on season two. We've got hopefully eight more to come, maybe more, who knows. Um, it'd be interesting to see if they actually were to continue with Captain Kirk and all the characters in the roles that we know so well and how they progress that with the new characters and new actors and how they might mix up the story somewhat. Um, will Kirk still be the womanizer that he was known to be back in the original series or will they modernize the character to be less uh -huh. 
Absolutely. They're not changing that. That's integral to that's a key part of his character. There was a thing I've seen online ages ago about how many alien species Captain Kirk had bedded and it, the number was quite high. <laughs> so there's a lot of little mini alien Kirks running around. <laughs> running around the galaxy. <laughs> anyway, back to the point, because we keep jumping off the, the thing. So they've gone in the transporter room. We see you know our old friend Kyle, the transporter guy, again, makes his appearance again in episode two. They try to fire torpedoes first to, def to deflect the asteroid away from the planet, and then they realise it had a shield, but they realised he could beam through the shield to the planet. And that's why they're there in the first place. Because obviously the they don't know if it's a old ship or something that's on or some kind of base that's on there, so they send them down to investigate after the asteroid you know, miraculously erased shields to defend itself from the torpedo fire from the ship. They check the there's no life signs on the comet, but there is a a structure and they're this is why they're going down to check what it is. And they've went down they encounter a strange object that looks like an egg. And Ahura notices a sequence, Sam Kirk encourager, you know, you're the communications, you're the head of linguistics right now, you're our expert in this crew, go and have a look at it. And, you know, she notices the sequence. And I know Sam Kirk ends up going up to the egg, he notices some light and there's a burst of energy. He gets knocked out, his heart stops. The crew can't be about. The shields of the comet have went up and they're shut off from the ship completely. So it's like everything happens like quite fast. It's like they've, they've went down this comet, big egg thing in front of them. Sam Kirk gets, you know, his heart stops and the shields of the comet have went up. A new ship appears and this is where we see the first look at the shepherds. Now, did they ever make an appearance again at any point through you know star trek canon or lore because i don't recall ever seeing them again but they seem to be quite an advanced race so but they've obviously got this belief that the asteroid is in fact some kind of god or being so they know that they've they've actually named the comet mahanit and the comet is an ancient sacred arbiter of life that they are sworn to protect and they're convinced that the comet's course is preordained that they, you know, if it hits that planet, it hits that planet too bad. This comet, you know, reigns supreme. And they even get offended at Pike saying, oh, the comet, and they refer to Mahani as he. So they've actually see it as like a living, you know, a living thing, which is interesting. And then we cut back to the scene in Ahura and Spock, and they're just, she starts humming nervously that song again from Kenya and the egg responds with resonances so you start to hear sounds that it responds to her through music which again was you said earlier about how they always tie things in nicely and I think one of the you know the music and her love of singing and then the resonances I, I really, especially as a music lover myself I thought that was damn cool you know what though, right? I, I was watching that and she starts making, you know, humming away and the egg starts to react and these lights come on and all I could think of was Close Encounters of the Third Kind when they start playing the music towards the alien ship and it starts responding, you know, and I just thought, there you oh go. Oh my God, so it, yeah. So you're getting little throwbacks to like old sci-fis again, you know, without, um, which maybe, maybe many younger people wouldn't even be aware of Close Encounters of the Third Kind. 
Oh, it's such a good sure. film. If you've not watched it, go and watch it now. Like, seriously, just go and watch it now. It's so good. I love that film. I've even got the soundtrack on vinyl. Like, seriously. It was like the, uh, the mashed potato mountain. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, that is some scene. So if you've not seen Close Encounters of the Third Kind, go and watch it. And you know what? That w- I never picked up on that, but that's exactly what that is. You know, it, that feels like a tribute to that well spotted yeah i mean it's some kind of sort of tribute homage it's it's not exactly the same as it but it's a nice we if you if you're familiar with it for me it just jumped out straight away that that was very similar to close encounters but it's interesting because the shepherds um obviously say to them don't do anything the path is ordained if it's going to hit the planet and destroy it so be it it might also do something else we don't know let it do its thing anything anything you do at this point now will be considered an act of war or aggression um, and I just think how the Pikes was like, oh, no, come on, let's let's talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> and I love because that he, about his character. It's like, come on, I'm a reasonable guy, you know. Yeah. Let's speak about this. He's told that there's so much more technologically advanced than them, so he's kind of like, oh, we can't do much about this. So you know, really, come on, man, let's have a chat. <laughs> and that's what I love about his character because I think he embodies that all the time. He's just sort of that down earth, nice guy. You know, I like I like Pike. Pike can stay. Pike is good. We like Captain Pike. So after, you know, so Ahura starts um, humming and then the crew, I think Spock, starts vocalising with her and eventually the egg opens and Mahanit, the comet, lowers its force field so that the crew can beam out. So Ahura's managed to decode, you know, the structure and they've managed to get out. And then this is when Pike gets the Enterprise to fly in front of the comet so that the shepherds won't hit them. And, you know, he surrenders and fakes a system's failure, like, oh, God, we're dead in the water. You can't shoot us. If you shoot us, you're going to blow up Mahanit, you know? So it's like a... a Would you call it a ruse? What what would you call it? He he does it to sort of trick them. Yeah, a a ruse. It's it's kind of like, you know, putting himself in the line of fire, but obviously any, any stray potential... Weapons fire is going to attack the thing they're sworn to protect, so he's kind of forcing their hand to be peaceful. Yeah, it's a good strategy. So as well, what's like Mister Spock flies a shuttle out, and he uses so he radiates heat from the shields of the shuttle to move to make the comet move itself without it looking like it was directly them, because they've been told you touch that damn thing, we're going to kill you, you know. And the crew are like, "Where's Mister Spock?" And then all of a sudden you hear hysterical laughing over the comms. And it goes back to the earlier statement when Spock doesn't understand why everyone is laughing. It's, you know, sometimes things are so bad you just got to laugh. And you just hear him, you actually hear Mr. Spock laughing. You know, and I was like, that is brilliant. Because in the original series, it was very rare that you got that. But it was always a golden episode when you got those little snippets of emotion, you know. And you got to see his human side. Which is nice because obviously in the process of doing that, the the asteroid then obviously diverts enough not to destroy the planet, and it actually releases the, the vapor thing, which actually ends up, you know, changing the earth the, the planet's whole structure and allowing it to have water and other things. Because in the, as you see the planet at the beginning, it's a very barren desert-like planet, and now they're going to have it's got you know and it ends with rainfall and them looking up at the sky, and you realize that the as you said it goes back to Persephone, you know, and in this case, it's providing life to the planet as opposed to killing it and taking the life. So, it's a it's a nice way to um, 
in the episode, I think. Uh, but of course, then Uhura mentioned the fact that they'd already decoded uh, a transmission and that the, the plant and the asteroid was always going to move out of the way. And it comes back to the idea of it being already pre-ordained, as you said earlier. Um, and their their interaction, so either their interaction was, was written and what they did is exactly as it was meant to be, um, which also ties into the conversation Pike has with number one when she's saying your, you know, uh, death isn't. How do you know it's going to happen? How do you know you can't change that? And he's he's under the impression that it's already written. So it's almost letting you. We're playing on the themes here of fate is predetermined and can't be changed and things will happen the way they're supposed to happen. And that's, it seems to be, that's, you know, in this episode specifically, it's a bit of a recurring theme. Even Una says to Pike, what if your fate is what you make it? You know, and you see at the end of the episode, Pike's looking into the fire again. You get a, a shot of him just staring into it and then he, he's got Saurian Brandy, which is quite iconic to the Star Trek world. And he looks up the crew of the ship that you know he's going to end up sacrificing himself on well when i say sacrifice he's going to end up with radiation he's going to end up his life's never going to be the same do you see at this point they're all children so he looks up their names and it's just again it's tying into that theme of his you know he's got that constant shadow over him you know he could be in the happiest place ever he could be doing the best things but he's always got that at the back of his mind yeah which is, again, you know, playing on that whole mortality thing. I think it was funny, though, when they talk about that, that particular phrase, because as soon as he said it, the only thing that jumped in my head was, you know, there's no fate, but we make for ourselves, which is famous from Terminator and Terminator 2 and so on and so forth. It's Another like great Kyle film. Reese makes, you know, John makes Kyle remember the line before he sends him back to meet his mum. And, of course, make him. So it's just one of those things where this felt like there's lots of little sci-fi crossovers uh, whether it was a deliberate thing or just me reaching for something that wasn't actually there, but in any case, it was it's a cool. We uh, it'd be nice to think that it was a deliberate. We 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 uh, play on on the the sentence. Yeah, absolutely. I think I think you know the things that you've uncovered with like the close encounter. I mean, I can totally see that, and this with the Terminator thing as well. You know, it's I think they do pay homage to a lot of other you know, even previous series or different films. So it's nice, the sci-fi world all coming together. <laughs> so how would you rate the episode out of five, Stuart? Um, I'm going to say three. It wasn't as good as the pilot episode, episode one, uh, but it was very enjoyable. But if, you know, you're going to find that the episodes are going to start you're going to get those bits in between where you've got the sort of the good stories they're interesting but they're, they're not too exciting and then they're going to leave you know build you up to the the finale final couple episodes which are going to be quite um something special so first episode was fantastic really enjoyed it i enjoyed this one but not quite as much as the first one um so a, a solid three 3.5 we'll give it a solid 3.5 Damn it, Jim, what the hell is the matter with you? No, <laughs> I was going to say 3.5. <laughs> but, then, you know, we've both got good taste. No, um, 
I would say 3.5 because as you said you know that for me the pilot was stronger I still thought this was a solid episode it was great you know hearkening back to similar themes from the original series you know there's a comet you know is it life on the comet there's no life but there's a structure that you know when if you sing to it it's going to open up and things are going to be cool you know that it just reminds me of the original series through and through but for me um it wasn't quite as strong as the pilot but again you know being a music lover being a producer dj you know the resonances the tones of who's singing that you know that appealed to me a lot but i still think it's 3.5 yeah i think what i would like to know and this is purely just from an interest standpoint when she was humming away it sounded like she could she could hold a tune so i'd like to know if it's actually her humming away or if it was somebody else doing that because i think it was her I actually think it was her because I was what I that's something I actually was looking at. I was like, God, she can as you said, she can hold a tune. I was like, she's her pitch is perfect, her tones right, everything sounds as it should. So I even wonder, taking this a step further, if that was part of the casting process that you need to be able to sing, you know? I don't know. I mean you can ADR that kind of stuff in post production now, so you could have the worst you know, singing voice, and you can mime along and it'll give you the great... <laughs> Nelodyne! Well, they do on telly all the time, don't they? There was not that... Uh... So it doesn't, you know, it'd be interesting to know if it was actually her that did it, because it did sound to me like if if it is her, she could probably sing, which would be a nice throwback to, as you say, Michelle, and the fact that she was a singer herself. So there's lots of, there's, um, that's you know, the character and the actor both having the, the same sort of traits, which is a nice throwback to original series yeah i'll have to post i'll either do it on our tiktok or instagram or one of our channels like a link to um the ep that nichelle nichols released because it's absolutely great i actually did another podcast and i was a guest on this podcast at the start of the year called b-sides podcast and it was your favorite the whole podcast was basically about your favorite b-sides and i opened with nichelle nichols know what i mean because obviously you know, music soundtrack to your life. Star Trek's a huge part of mine. So it's, yeah, you know, if anyone wants to hear that EP, it's bloody good, by the way. So you should all want to hear it. I'll make sure to post some clips and give everybody access to where they can go and check it out. So Star Trek news. So Star Trek Enterprise executive producer Manny Koto has sadly passed away. Also, the actor strike is set to impact Star Trek production and promotion, including summer conventions. I know a lot of fans will be disappointed to hear that. Have you, have you seen all this stuff online about like the the strike, the actor strike? Yeah, I mean, I'm aware of it. I'm in the industry, so well, that's your, that's your remit. <laughs> so you'll know more than me about that with but cinema. It, it, it's mostly in America, so it's not doesn't it's not massively impacting the UK, as far as I'm aware. And in all honesty there's going to be a lot of doors that are going to open up for independent filmmakers to get a step-up role. People are going to be faced with the decision, do I not take a job and support the people striking or do I see an opportunity to further my career and move forward? And I think in some ways that could hurt hurt people because people are going to step up and then maybe even do it for less money. So they're wanting to strike because they want, you know, various things. And someone's going to come along behind them and be like, well, I'll do it for half the price. And then someone can build a career. And then, so I don't know. I think, um, again, it's happening primarily more in the USA than over in the UK. And 
I'm I wouldn't say I'm working on Hollywood, you know, movies. I'm working on independent feature films and and smaller scale Those stuff. Stuff's. So, but you're damn good at what you me. do. <laughs> Don't play it down, Stuart. You're damn good at what you do. <laughs> well, either way, I'm I'm not. I personally not don't feel the impact of any of it, other than my TV shows and films that are going to suffer. Which I'll be quite sad because I remember the right strike back when uh, Heroes was on telly, and the first season was so good, and then there's writer strikes and everything just went downhill and the, the, the delay between that and The Walking Dead and other shows that were on there were just the writer strike really kind of caused such a delay that I because there was so much time in between you can't you can't even stop watching certain things after you know when you move on to other other projects and other shows and then you don't necessarily go back to what you're watching previously and I did that with um, Walking Dead and a few other things and Heroes just went downhill massively this, the writer strike really ruined that show and it's a shame because it was actually for me, it started off really strongly and just plummeted really fast. And I think it was a direct victim of the, the writer's strike um, back in, what, 2014 or wherever it was? I can't remember the specific date, but I do know at least we're fortunate with something like Star Trek. Even if there is a strike, Star Trek's always going to come back in some form. You know, it's not going to go out into the ether and never be seen again. It's always going to come back because it's such a strong franchise but just while i remember actually about the actor strike one of my friends he actually writes comics so he does the betty page comic and the elvira comics and he actually met nichelle nichols at one of the actor strikes and in america which is when we actually think about that's a 360 moment he actually met lieutenant ahura nichelle nichols at one of those strikes you know, it's 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 funny how the world works. Yeah, and it's a small world when you think about it, especially in this present day. Technology's got people communicating from all continents at all times of the day. Whereas a lot of you know, again, show my age. I was talking about this just recently. Mobile phones really only came into play when I was sort of in my third and fourth year in high school, and it wasn't really until after high school when you started to be able to play music and actually were quite decent. So. There's kids these days that have never known life without technology. They've never known uh, what it is to play a game of Snake. And yeah. I feel sorry for them for that fact. Or just it's awesome. with a... You know, you were still writing letters back then and your pen pals potentially and you, you took a while to get information. You had to join the, the fan club by sending off your application to get and you got your, your information back. Because now it's all done by email. It's so fast you can do all these things almost instantaneously now. Join mailing lists and these other things that just didn't exist. It's like they showed a video, I think it was, i seen it on YouTube and it was kids and they showed them like, you know, a cassette tape and they're like, what the hell's that? What is that device? And it's like, what? <laughs> you know, it, it, nothing ever makes me feel so old as watching one of those videos and kids are like, um, yeah, what's a tape? What? What? Uh, they're gonna start doing that with CDs soon, because I, mean, I know. Oh my God, it's... is that a frisbee? What is it? <laughs> yeah. You know? I I remember there was a, a meme got posted recently that I saw. It was somebody had plugged their iPhone into a cassette deck, uh, is in in the car, and they were like, "This isn't charging my phone. What's wrong with it? And why is it so tight? It's scratching my phone." Oh. <laughs> and it's like, really? You thought that was for charging your iPhone? Did you? Most illogical. Oh, face palm. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it's scary though how much has changed. Cause it, when you think about it, obviously the original series was kicking around at the time. You know, you're you're not long from 
landing on the moon and the space race and all these other things. And then you fast forward to the eighties and you got the next generation and then, you know, move into nineties with DS nine and um Voyager and then you've got all these all the Star Trek shows seem to be going back in time to more present sort of because Enterprise didn't feel that far removed from being possible with uh, technology because they, they weren't going on there with like phasers they were still going on with guns and other things which is interesting because there's a, there's a comedy sitcom thing on Netflix I forget its name Space Force I think which is funny because I didn't realise there was actually a Space Force I thought that was all a piss take but there is actually a branch of the military that's like like for space things did you see and their course, badge um i don't remember the spa- the I've seen space, it, I don't... there's a space force badge i'm, I'm sure yeah. it's space force and this ties into star trek nicely Stuart. good one basically well, yeah. it looks the same as like the starfleet badge but who else is in the show i've not watched all of the show you'll need to tell <laughs> you'll need to tell me that one tony newsom is in the show he loves so tony. again this, that, that, that was why i back to star trek because she's everybody's favorite Mariner, so she's in that with Space Force, but also she's in Lord X. Uh, and you know, they've got their own podcast, the Pod Directive. Shout out to the Pod Directive, yep, and, I love uh, that. They're, they're really quite fun to listen to, and you can tell she just has a well, both of them have a real passion for Star Trek. So, and in fact, she does a lot of sci fi type stuff, and it's bringing those two elements together of comedy and sci fi, which seems to be working for her. So, hey. Who knows, maybe we should be a guest on our show one day. You never know. Pause crossed. We'll make it so. Make it so. We will make it so. It's on my, you know, that visualise it, manifest it. That's that's what I'm at. Tony, if you can hear me, you're going to be on our show one day. But um, I'm assuming there's not a lot of news, but right now, because um, we kind of covered a lot last week, but an interesting thing I did see that I've, I wanted to mention was Denise Crosby had a Twitter interaction with Rick Berman posted on Twitter about oh, how he had Denise Crosby's com badge for when she was killed in Star Trek Next Generation and he, he made out like it was a nice a nice little moment and she replied saying oh I, I remember you come up to me and, and literally taking off me and saying you won't need this anymore then and then <gasps> left Whoa. so they called her out on it but they, it's on, it was on Twitter it was quite it was quite funny I'm sure you, you know we could, we could post a link to the Reddit thing for it but um. They, obviously they didn't film things in order so even though they'd done a sh- shot a couple of episodes her last one was uh, Skin of Evil where she's killed yep um, bloody so what, he, so what his tweet said was Tasha's com badge Denise gave it to me after her last day of shooting on Skin of Evil it's been on my desk for nearly 31 years and uh, she replied with, I don't think it's if it, you remember it differently to <laughs> how it actually oh. happened <laughs> uh, you came up and took it off me and said you won't be needing this anymore so sort of something to that effect. So it's just funny how he's commented to try and make it into a nice situation and she's probably saying, well, actually, no. It's, <laughs> it's like, not is, it it banter? is it banter? Is it, you know, but that doesn't sound like banter to me. Um, you did a good point there, actually, when you were talking about, you know, with the original series, I'm just going to bring this up just now about the, you know, we were going to the moon. So the original series came out in 1966 and we went to the moon on 1969. That's when, yep, the series also ended but during that time i was watching an interview with william shatner he was saying he got to go to nasa and he got to see you know what they were up to before they'd even went to the moon so and you know now um 
Space. Jeff Bezos but you know what was funny about what he said about being in space he thought it was going to be this life-changing amazing experience but he said he'd never been so terrified and realized how small we are in the vast universe as he did at that moment it wasn't what he had envisioned he says it was absolutely terrifying oh I was gonna say it would have been funny if he'd actually given him the honorary rank of captain no they should have they should have <laughs> Captain, uh, anyway, but yeah, no, I, I can imagine that. I mean, you live on Earth in your little bubble, and a lot of people don't believe in aliens, and they think that we're it, and that's it, and you know we're, we're this advanced species. But the reality is, if you go up there and you see this little, you know, I'm not a flat earther, so I'm going to say globe, um, you know, in space, surrounded by other bits and bobs, knowing full well that actually, in the grand scheme of things, the Earth's a small ball in a much larger expansive universe um it must be quite eye-opening to to be up in space and looking down at earth and realizing how insignificant we probably are would you do it would you go into space if you got the opportunity yeah i would it's one of those i remember in high school one of the questions we got asked when we were older is what did you want to be and i said an astronaut that's amazing i got shot down by the teacher, Miss Wallace. I'll name you because you actually name and shape. Yeah, it was like that's ridiculous. Be realistic. Of course, you're not going to be an astronaut. All this kind of stuff. And I just thought, you know what? Probably not. But go, you know, what a way to destroy Crush a, a child's child dreams. Dream potentially. I would like to be an astronaut. I don't have the the skill sets probably to be an astronaut. But that doesn't mean I can't. You, the question was, you know, it was actually for work experience. <laughs> work experience. So you know, in hindsight, I was probably taking the piss a little bit. But at the same time. <laughs> As a teacher, she could have come in there and said, right, cool, we'll we'll get your work experience at the Edinburgh Observatory, you know? Exactly. There should have been some form of encouragement, you know, not just like a shoot down. Exactly. And I I remember little things like that to to this day and how quickly she was to try and crush that potential dream. Now, maybe I wouldn't have been an astronaut, but I might have done something in, you know, in in that kind of field somewhere along the line. But immediately she just, it was just sent, you know, it was just immediately put on me that that wasn't an option. End of story. And that was that. So I just, you know, there's, there's a lot of things when you think back on things in school, the way certain teachers would try and shit all over you. Oh, God, yeah. Uh, don't I know things. it? Don't I know it? I mean, a lot of people find that this is a random fact about me. I never did music at school because I didn't like music at school. I don't like it when things are too, you know, structured to a curriculum in a certain way and things are too linear. Apart from my fringe, I like it when that's linear. <laughs> I need to keep that straight. But, you know, sometimes I feel like a lot of the teachers and the way they interact with people, you know, especially when you're growing up, you're impressionable. You know, you're changing, your body's changing. There's so much going on. And a lot of what's said to you when you're younger can form who you are in later years and stay with you, as you've said there. And I remember just the music. I just... I just couldn't take it. I didn't like the music teachers at all. But I love music. So I decided to let anything I've learnt with music, I've always just done on my own time, on my own schedule, with my own rules. Mm. <laughs> so, you know, that's kind of the way I operate. But it, it's true, you know, how how people can try and shape your future. But don't let them. I remember being in first year in high school as well. And we got given music tests. And I got asked to stay behind at the end of the class. And I thought, oh, I'm in trouble already. And uh, the teacher was like, you got full marks on that. I was like, right. And she's like, do you play an instrument? So I was like, well, not really. And she was like, what do you mean? I was like, 
they did, we did like two or three different tests and I got full marks on all of them. And uh, what it was, my parents had tried to get me, make me learn the piano when I was younger. But because it was being forced on me at the time, I was like, nah, I ain't learning the piano. I don't want to do this. And so I kind of re rebelled against it and refused to learn. And, but I was good at it. I was quite good at it. And uh, my, music, my music teacher was quite impressed with how much I was picking up and how quickly I was picking up. But I didn't want to do it because it was being forced on me. And then in high school, they were like, well, you should definitely come and do music. Well, what, what do you want to do? And I was like, drums. <laughs> oh, we don't really do drums. We've got keyboard, piano, guitar. I was like, drums are nothing. Drums and, are nothing. I like yeah. that. And the sad thing is, now I'm 40, I don't play any instruments. I don't have the patience to sit and try and learn an instrument. And I massively, massively regret not being able to play anything because I would quite like to be able to play an instrument, especially as my dad is quite musical. He plays the violin and noodles and some other things. And I just feel like it would be nice to have had something I could have shared with them. Um, so it's funny, you know, as a kid, you don't realise when people are doing things for you that it's it could be useful or something you might regret later on in life because at the time you're thinking, nah, this isn't for me. And then 20 years later, you, you wish you'd maybe put a bit more effort into it. It's like languages as well. Mum and dad tried to make me learn French when I was younger and because I was I wasn't interested. Now I wish I could speak more than just English. Snap. So, and even that, I don't speak it particularly well. So it's we, we one of those situations. Communications officers, that's for sure, Stuart. No, <laughs> I don't think not. we'd get Ahura's job. She knew, what was it, 37 languages that she knows? I think that's kind of cheating, though, because, you know, she was saying in Kenya, there's like 22 languages. 22 from Kenya. ways to learn, yeah. So. But I mean, come on. Imagine being able to, you know, the, oh, my God, my brain just fries at the thought of it. I'm like, wow. Yeah. I tried to learn Russian once, so I didn't, didn't get very far. <laughs> That's that. a bit of a jump. You know what? I, I wanted to learn another language. Oh, you know Russian, one of the hardest yeah. ones, but quite right. I, I just, well, German was always seemed like it'd be quite easy. Um, but yeah, no, I thought I'd try something different and I thought uh, Russia, Russian would be interesting, but then it didn't, didn't last. But, uh, you know. My name's Russian. <laughs> There's another fact for well, you. This is true. Oh, this is Natasha. true. Natasha. <laughs> that is the thing about communication officers. We've gone off on a random tangent and we're reminiscing about high school in the Star Trek podcast. So well, moving back to Star it, Trek. You know, it's all about the banter. Star Trek and good banter. So next episode we'll be doing is Ghosts of Illyria. Have I said that right? Illyria? Illyria, yeah. Illyria? Someone will correct me if I'm wrong. Ghosts of Illyria. And that's what we'll be doing next. So thank you for tuning in to Trap, the Red Alert podcast. I'm Natasha yeah. Cat, and you have... Me, Stuart Gilmartin. And I just wanted to say a big thank you to those who've listened to the first episode. We'd love to hear your feedback, so drop some comments, subscribe, and, you know, look forward to the next one. Live long, 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 live long,